morning and welcome to the broadcast today. I am Pastor Jeff Shreve sitting in this week for Dan Celia. Dan is fighting illness and we're praying that God would put his healing hand upon Dan. I am the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas. I came in 2003 and we've seen God do uh, great and awesome things in our church over these years. We give him all the praise for that. I'm also the founder of From His Heart Ministries. From His Heart is a radio and television ministry that is uh, partnering with American Family Radio. We've been on American Family Radio now since 2015, and we're heard every weeknight at 6 p.m. Central Time, and we love the folks at American Family Association, American Family Radio. Well, I wanted to read to you today from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I solemnly charge you, Paul says to Timothy, this is the last chapter he ever wrote before he was beheaded for his faith in Christ. And he tells his young child in the faith, Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom. Okay, this is really, really serious. Preach the word. Be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Those three things, two of them are negative. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We're going to talk today about the dangers of theological liberalism and people getting away from the word of God in their preaching and in their churches and in the seminaries, getting away from the pure milk of the word and the meat of the word so that we can grow with respect to salvation. And I am privileged today to welcome as our guest, Dr. Charles Kelly. Chuck Kelly was president of New Orleans Baptist Seminary for many, many years. He's now the president emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary and the Distinguished Research Professor of Evangelism there. He was ordained way back when he was just a, a young guy of 19 years old back in 1972, graduated from Baylor, went to New Orleans Seminary and began teaching in 1983. He has a beautiful wife, Rhonda, who has also uh, uh, got her doctorate and uh, God uses her in great ways. And so Dr. Chuck, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Jeff. It is a delight and a privilege to be with you and your listeners today. Well, thank you so much. So as we talk about this subject, Dr. Chuck, uh, theological liberalism, uh, how would you define that and what would you have to say about that issue? Well, I would. the most simple definition is to say it is a theology that does not accept the Bible as the Word of God. And that is one of the most critical lines uh, in the sand in the lives of people that you will ever encounter. The Bible is God's Word or it is not. I saw very 
up front, close, and personal the implications of this decision when I was at college. I went to the largest Baptist college in the world, and I went into my religion class in Old Testament the first day, and our Old Testament professor told us that if you did not believe the first 11 chapters of Genesis were mythological, you were either ignorant or stupid. My roommate went into his New Testament class on the first day. The professor uh, came in with the Bible and said, it's my job to teach you that everything you ever heard in Sunday school is wrong. And he threw that Bible in the trash can. That just shocking act. That was my Baptist college experience and my first encounter with liberal theology. What I really took away from that time in college, however, was the effect of that theology on people's lives. Uh, I eventually began working with the collegiate ministry staff there in that university. I visited in men's dorms uh, three to four nights a week uh, on average and worked with someone who was doing the same in the women's dorms. And I literally watched people's moral values change. I watched people's behavior change. As they drank in that liberal theology, their lives and their actions and deeds went further and further away from God's expectations. So it is a devastating reality when you refuse to accept the Bible as God's Word. Okay, Dr. Chuck, why do you think it is in Bible colleges or schools that, like you went to that's not, quote-unquote, a Bible college, but it's it's a religious institution, um, Bible colleges, religious colleges, and seminaries. Why does do those institutions always seem to drift to the left theologically? Part of it is the devil. Uh, he is constantly there. The first lie in the Bible was in Genesis uh, chapter 3 when Satan said to Adam and Eve, yes, has God said, calling in question, did God really say what he said. And that temptation, that reminder, that push, that challenge to the truthfulness of God's Word has been there since the first man and woman on the earth. It's always there. There's always that pressure. The other thing, I may surprise you in saying this, is the very significant role of self-esteem. All of us want to be liked. All of us want to be appreciated. All of us want to be affirmed. And in the world of scholarship, in the world of academia, uh, professors like to have the accolades and support and respect of their peers. The way you get that so many times is by saying something new, by doing something different. And saying the same thing, the Bible is God's Word, will not get you much attention in a lot of circles. But saying that Uh, there is this problem with the Bible, or there's an error here, that will get you attention. And as Bible college uh, and seminary and college professors are making their careers in academia, and they are studying, and they want to write papers, uh, some of them have to write papers and publish in order to keep their teaching jobs. They want their peers to respect them. They'll get more respect if they become more liberal Uh, in many circles than they will if they are a conservative. And we've seen that across the band uh, in recent years in our nation itself of the respect given liberalism to disrespect given conservatism. And so that self-esteem tug 
pushes you to want to say things that people will accept, that people will affirm, that they will make them clap and say, way to go, good insight. Uh, and again, you add the temptation that's always there, pushing us away from God's Word that Satan gives, and that very human characteristic of a desire for people to like you, and it can be a powerful force leading schools away from their commitment to the orthodoxy of God's Word. Well, as president, uh, Dr. Chuck, did you see did you see guys coming in with a real fire for the Lord and His Word and to teach the students, and then did you see them change over time? Uh, so, go ahead. Yeah, at our school, uh, in my student years and my early years on the faculty, yes, I did see that. Of course, we really worked against that, and we were consciously working to prevent that in our school uh, after I became president. Uh, and so I did not see it as much at our school, but you do see it where, where you see it the most in a school like ours that has a commitment to being conservative, uh, sometimes in the doctoral programs. And you'll have guys again, wanting to make a name for themselves. And they just begin to drift towards the affirmation. Uh, a friend of mine who was a psychology student in the university PhD program uh, had a class and they were studying behavior modification and the students in the class got together and they decided they would see if they could modify the behavior of their professor. Dr. Uh, Dr. Kelly, I don't mean to interrupt, but we got to go to a break, so don't go away. Let's see, if something costs less but people are happier with it? That sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for healthcare can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. God can use persecution to strengthen the church and individuals within it. Persecution is granted to us. Don't miss this. What an honor to be chosen to follow in the footsteps of Christ, to die like the thief beside him, so that men enslaved to sin can see the gospel written in our flesh and believe. Gain more perspective on persecution with Jordan Shambly's article, The Victorious Persecuted Church, in the Fall 21 issue of Engage Magazine, or visit EngageMagazine.net. So Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net.
Hi, and welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here filling in for Dan Celia. And we're praying for Dan as he is fighting an illness. We hope that he is back healthy very, very soon. Well, we're talking to Dr. Charles Kelly, the president emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, where he served as president for many, many years. And Dr. Chuck, right before the break, you were telling a story about uh, uh, the drift into theological liberalism that comes to so many professors. So please continue that story for us modified the behavior of their professor who was lecturing and they agreed that any time he stood on the left side of the room that they would all sit up in their seats they would take notes uh, rapidly they would give him their undivided attention any time he stood on the right side of the room they would slouch in their seats they would not give him eye contact they put down their pens they wouldn't write anything down this was a professor whose normal habit was walking back and forth across the room they said within 15 minutes he was spending all of his time on that left side of the room where the students were alertly paying attention. What gets rewarded gets repeated. And so when schools will reward people for liberal theology, that's what they're going to get, and it will move further and further to the left. Uh, your question was, did I ever see anybody change with that? One very vivid example, the guy who was in charge of the collegiate ministry for freshmen at that Baptist college came to that Baptist college as a youth evangelist doing youth revivals and things like that. By the time he was in the master's program, uh, after four years of that college into his fifth year in that liberal religion department, he had totally changed theologically. He was not at all interested in anything but social ministry uh, for our freshman collegiate ministry group. Two years after that, uh, he was divorced. He was arrested for trying to sell pornography to minors at a junior high school. Profound change. That whenever you get away from God's Word being authoritative and true, it will change your behavior as well as your beliefs. Well, that, man, that is shocking and tragic. Um, Dr. Chuck, I still remember something I heard from Adrian Rogers uh, years ago that has stuck with me. It's just such a a true statement. He said this, if it's new, it's not true. And Mm -hmm. it seems to me in churches, the pastor's not really trying to give new information, Um, so much of preaching from my experience. I've been doing this, uh, you know, 20 plus years, but it's, it's telling people things as Peter said, you know, we're, we're repeating, we're reminding you of things that you know, but you need to be reminded of. And, and we're giving you, uh, meat and potatoes Sunday and Wednesday nights to help you grow. But if it's new, it's not true. And that seems like in seminaries and colleges, they're always looking for new. That is correct, Pastor Jeff. And here's a distinction that I like to share with people. There is a difference between new and fresh. And you can have fresh insights or a fresh means of expressing a very old truth. But when you are giving a new theological truth that is different than God's Word, that's when you're in trouble. So, pastors, You don't want to preach the same sermon every week. You want to be like 
Pastor Jeff, who does a great job of preaching through God's Word and holding the interest of his people, but he is fresh in his preaching, his manner of expression, how he applies things to different areas of people's life. He is fresh, but he isn't giving them a new truth to follow. Amen. Well, I appreciate that so much. Uh, it, it is important. You know, it's, it's kind of like preaching a sermon is kind of like cooking a meal. Uh, you don't want to just have warmed over leftovers. Um, you want it to be fresh and you want to do a good job. I did hear somebody say one time, he said, you know, um, chicken is chicken is chicken, but there are different ways to prepare it. You can have chicken McNuggets or you can have uh, a chicken dish at a fancy restaurant that is like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever tasted. And this individual said, you know, you read first Samuel 17, David kills Goliath every time. It, It doesn't ever change, but how you present that story to people to connect to them is critical. And and speaking of that, uh, Dr. Chuck, so you started in the classroom in 1983 and you had, you maintained uh, throughout your years teaching students. What do you see is the difference in the student uh, in 1983 versus a seminary student today? Uh, They come from a lot more brokenness. You have a lot more students who come from broken homes uh, in their past and other kinds of brokenness uh, than you did back when I started. You have uh, less mature, spiritually mature uh, people who are not as far along the path of faith, as far along their walk with God, uh, as typical students were whenever I began teaching, whenever I was a student. So you have more brokenness, you have uh, less maturity, and then you have less of a passion for evangelism. And this is what's been very interesting. The most concerning thing to me about the state of the Southern Baptist Convention has been a very significant decline in the passion for seeing people come to Christ and in their local churches and local communities. That's very bizarre because you also have, uh, in this rising generation of students, probably a deeper passion for international missions and wanting the gospel to get to the ends of the earth. And students will be far more passionate about getting the gospel to the ends of the earth and getting the gospel across the street or to the end of the block. And that's a very interesting kind of dynamic. It really is. I remember my pastor, Damon Shook, uh, made a statement once in a sermon. He said, uh, don't cross the sea if you're not willing to cross the street to share Christ. And I think in the minds of many people, it, it's almost easier to go on a mission trip and cross the sea and share Christ with a total stranger than it is to go next door to your neighbor or across the street to your neighbor and talk to them because then we get nervous. What are they going to think of me? I'm gonna, am, am I a weirdo? that kind of thing. Um, back in the 80s, what was the mindset of the person? Why, why did evangelism seem to flow much better then versus now? Uh, in part, and I'm speaking as a Southern Baptist about life in a Southern Baptist convention, evangelism was the warp and whoop of everything. And it was constantly in front of us. Uh, it was a shared value. Uh, pastors were very interested in how many people were coming to Christ in people's ministry, and when they 
look and evaluated people who were uh, excellent in ministry, being very effective in ministry, that was one of the gauges that they used to look at effectiveness is, are you bringing people to Christ? Are you winning people to Christ? And so it was a part of every kind of Baptist meeting and very high-profile role for evangelism. And you just don't see that now in, in near the same way. And there's just a lack of interest. And it's, I can't tell you why that has happened. It's been fascinating to watch. And finding out how to talk about that has been one of my great challenges in communication because people are simply unconscious of how far removed we were as a denomination and as pastors from a passion for evangelism then that simply does not exist now. And again, it's deceptive because there is a very real passion for missions, overseas stuff, just not for evangelism with the people around us nearly as much as we used to. You know, when you look at some of the Barna studies and polling of, you know, people that say they're born-again Christians, um, when it comes to do you believe in hell, uh, do you believe people are going to hell, how do you think that plays into evangelism? Because if we really see that, hey, my my friend, my neighbor, my workmate, my classmate, I mean, he's one heartbeat from eternity in hell, that motivates a person to share, even if they're uh, deemed a, a, a nut, uh, because we don't want to see anybody go to hell. How, how much do you think that plays into the whole situation of evangelism taking a back seat? I would say very significantly, very quickly as we approach your, your break, there are, there are two things, that reality of hell, and secondly, my responsibility for keeping people from going there. And what you think about those two things, am I responsible and is hell a reality, really will affect your evangelistic behavior. So if, you know, obviously Calvinism is uh, is very prevalent in Southern Baptist churches today and, and people that hold to the tulip, the, the, the acrostic that kind of summarizes Calvinism. How much do you think that plays into uh, the cooling of evangelism? Well, I think it's very, you know, this is a complex issue because people can certainly be Calvinistic in their basic theology and evangelistic. One does not preclude the other. Right. But what you have coming together, happening at the same time, is a rise in Reformed theology and a decline in passion for evangelism. They're happening at the same time. And I watched it in the lives of students on my campus. It wasn't me having any concerns about Calvinism that raised this issue for me. It was me watching students who talked more and more about Calvinism being less and less interested in evangelism and less concerned about having responsibility for faith in Christ, bringing people to faith in Christ. That's the real key. Do you feel responsible for bringing Christ to the people around you, urging them, pleading with them to come to Christ, or not? And a lack of responsibility, lack of a sense of responsibility, will curtail your efforts in evangelism. 
Yeah, it's it's sad, but uh, and, and so much of that fits in with the culture. I remember when I was uh, young in the Lord, I mean, going door to door and knocking on people's doors and, and sharing the gospel with them. Um, that was just a common thing that we did at our church on Tuesday night visitation. I don't think very many churches have that anymore. That's correct. So, and, you know, some of that is people don't want you to just drop in on them. So some, the culture kind of fit, fits into that uh, a little bit. But uh, that does affect people's uh, sense of passion with, hey, it's my job to share the gospel with people. Jesus has called me to be his witness to the people in this world, to the people in my sphere of influence. So we're talking to Dr. Charles Kelly from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The purpose of government is to secure God-given or inalienable rights to man. America's premier historian, David Barton. John Dickinson, who's also a signer of the Constitution, he said, an inalienable right is a right which God gave to you and which no inferior power has a right to take away. Wall Builders Live captures the ideas of the Founding Fathers and then applies those ideas to the issues of today. Sunday morning at 1130 Central on American Family Radio. What we believe about the Bible is based on what we believe about its source. The God Who Speaks, the award-winning documentary from the American Family Association, is now available in a special limited edition DVD set. This release includes a Sunday school curriculum and two hours of additional footage. Go to thegodwhospeaks.org to get your copy today. Thegodwhospeaks.org. The following are real-life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call, and immediately I felt relief. They contacted all of our creditors, and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. If you like trips where you have to plan everything, then uh, maybe our tour is not for you. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman with American Family Association and American Family Radio. Of course, I'm talking about our spiritual heritage tours of Washington, D.C., Mount Vernon, and then a separate trip to Williamsburg, Virginia. But we take these spiritual heritage tours twice a year, once in June and once in September, And guess what? We take care of everything. All you have to do is, as they say, show up. Uh, Stephen McDowell of the Providence Foundation, who is a historian, will be joining us for both tours. And uh, he will comment and tell you everything you need to know about the places, the times, the events that we will experience on these tours of Washington, D.C. and Williamsburg. For all the information, 
Just go to the website, spiritualheritagetours.com for everything. Hi, and welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here filling in for Dan Celia, uh, host of Financial Issues. Dan is facing some uh, physical issues, some illness, and so we're praying for a quick return and, and health for him. And I am the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder and host of From His Heart Ministries, uh, radio and television preaching ministry heard every weeknight on American Family Radio at 6 p.m. Central Time. We're talking to Dr. Charles Kelly, the uh, president emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, and we're talking about the issue of theological drift, and we're talking about the issue of evangelism. Both those things in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he deals with both those things, preach the word, do the work of an evangelist. And Dr. Chuck, I know you've written a a book about uh, the top, uh, is it the top 50 uh, evangelistic sermons that were preached in history? Um, I was doing a little research on that. Uh, what do you think is needed for preachers and for pulpits across America to get back to um, preaching to win the loss to Jesus? Well, number one, make that your goal. Uh, make that your goal that you are seeking to draw people to Jesus Christ. You are seeking to introduce them to Jesus. You are urging them to follow Christ. And the goal of your sermon is for people to come to Christ. Uh, And that's what's changed. Many pastors have gone from doing the work of an evangelist to uh, viewing themselves as doing the work of a Bible teacher. Now, you can't be an evangelist if you're not teaching the Bible. But you have to have as a goal doing the work of an evangelist uh, in your preaching. That's number one. Number two is preach on the gospel uh, and explaining the various aspects of the gospel, the reality of sin and its consequences, the necessity uh, of repentance uh, and of faith. Uh, You have to uh, do gospel preaching with the points of the gospel, not simply uh, explained, but urging people to accept it and to respond to it. That's really quite important. Number three, reminding people that the people they know are lost and without Christ. This was one of the really important things about Baptist pastors giving invitations at every worship service. Uh, Number one, yes, it did provide an immediate opportunity for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. If they were convicted of their need for salvation and ready to come to Jesus, they could do it right then. But almost as important was that weekly reminder from the pastor to the people, you're not right with God because you're in church. You're not right with God because you're married to a Christian woman or a Christian man, have a Christian mom, a Christian dad. You can only be right with God whenever you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you have to remind your people that that is true of everybody they know and love all the time so that they are conscious of the need to witness to their friends. Uh, most of the work of evangelism does not happen in the church. It happens outside the church. Uh, not a lot of lost people come to church regularly, but they are all around us. Uh, they're in our homes, in family members uh, many times. They're in our offices, our schools. 
uh, our hobbies where we play, and we do the work. We, as the people of God, Christians, do the work of evangelism when we are living our life in the world more than the pastor does when he is preaching from the pulpit of the church. So we've got to energize our people to understand living your life is a missionary adventure. And that is so very crucial and needs to be a part of the preaching of every pastor. Amen. Now, Dr. Chuck, I heard a statement, I think it was attributed to Billy Graham, but he said that uh, roughly 50% of the people in an average church on a Sunday morning, roughly 50% of the people have not been born again. They're church members, and they may think they're Christians, but they've never really encountered Christ. Would you say that's way off or fairly close? How, how would you uh, address that? Well, I think the, the important thing is not to try to get the percentage right. It's to realize it's a fact that there are many people who are in church who have not been born again. And so, again, are we preaching with a view towards conversion? Are we uh, giving people cause to look at their own life and ask themselves that question, am I right with God? Do I know that I know that I know that Jesus Christ is my Savior and Lord? And you simply have to assume that there are people uh, who are not Christians. And Jesus, of course, talked about the sower and the seed, and that seed was put on hard ground that did not take root at all. Uh, that seed was put on thorny ground uh, where it sprang up and then it was choked and taken away. And he talked about the different soils affecting the seed. And he said only uh, that seed that fell on the good ground really brought forth fruit. So that's the challenge of being a pastor is you've got everybody right there in front of you and you've got to challenge that congregation all the time to look at their own heart and to look at the hearts of the people that they know and realize that salvation is an issue because going into eternity without Jesus means going into eternity in hell separated from God and never being able to undo that, always uh, living apart from God. And boy, that, that is just a tragic end to any human life. It sure is. And you know, when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I remember Adrian Rogers said about this passage, he said, Jesus isn't talking to Sunday morning bench warmers. He's talking to people who preached in his name, cast out demons in his name, perform miracles in his name. It's kind of the Judas Iscariot type of person uh, because Judas did all those things, but he didn't know Christ. And uh, that yeah, is... And, and, go, go ahead. And Pastor Jeff, there, there is a... That is a truth, but there is a danger in that truth. Uh, I encounter many of today's student generation and younger pastors who are more afraid of someone making a profession of faith and not really understanding what they're doing than they are afraid of people spending an eternity in hell. 
that they are trying to make sure that nobody gets into my church unless I am really convinced that they are born again. Well, friend, you are not going to be able to do a perfect job of filtering out people who don't truly understand the gospel. Jesus gave us the parable of the wheat and tares, that wheat grew up in a field and tares along with it. And they and he, the landowner was asked by his workers, should we try to take out the tares? He said, no, just wait till the harvest comes, uh, and then the tares will be manifest and will be destroyed uh, at that point in time. We have got to live with a sense of urgency calling people to Christ. We want to do it faithfully. We want to do it clearly. We want to do it accurately. We want to do everything that we can so that people come to Christ. But to refuse to ask people to make a decision for Christ because they might not know what they're doing or because they they might be under the impression they're saved when they're not really, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings conviction to a human heart that is not born again. And we need to raise that issue with people. We need to call people uh, to be certain of their salvation. We need to call people to ask the Lord, uh, am I right with you? But we've got to urge people to come to Christ and not let protecting people from making a bad decision be more important than urging people to come to Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be taking calls in the next uh, segment. The number to call is 1-888-589-8840. That's 1-888-589-8840. We'd love to take your call and uh, ask a question of Dr. Kelly. And we're talking about theological liberalism. We're talking about the need for evangelism. And uh, Dr. Chuck, what do you think personally in your own heart? Are we close, very, very close to the return of Christ? I don't see any reason to uh, prevent that. I don't see anything the Lord is waiting for, uh, as far as I can tell from the prophecies in the Bible, that would keep me from thinking Jesus is coming soon. Everything points to Jesus coming soon, and we will never know for sure. I mean, that is his call and his call alone, but so much Bible prophecy has been fulfilled. I have no trouble believing that we are in uh, that final countdown towards the return of Christ. Amen. And that should motivate us to to share Christ with people because the Lord is near and he is coming. Just as Noah was faithful to build the ark and uh, point people to uh, the salvation that was available when the ark was there, they could see it. Hey, you can come on the ark and you can be saved from the flood that is coming. Obviously, people didn't respond other than his own family, but uh, he was faithful. Uh, And I have such uh, respect for Noah and the difficulty that he uh, had to endure for those 100 years as he was building the ark. And uh, God was true. And the, the flood came and judgment came. And I think we're living in a world where people don't think that God is going to judge. But as Paul said, God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men in raising him from the dead. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA believes that all men and women, whether in private or public, should be free to exercise their faith without hindrance from the government. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies, very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. We are not allowed to have a U-Haul that comes to heaven with us. Anna Marie Travers has an AFA Foundation charitable gift annuity. The Lord has given us uh, things that we can uh, acquire, uh, but you know, everything will stay here. And I'm so thankful for, for the American Family uh, Annuity Fund where we can give some to something that we so highly value. Through the AFA Foundation, a charitable gift annuity provides a monthly income as well as a legacy of support for the American Family Association. I cannot uh, recommend a, a better person than uh, they have at AFA to help you with getting your annuity fund. It was so easy. Call the AFA Foundation today to find out how you can set up a charitable gift annuity. Just call 800-326-326. 4543, extension 345. Hello and welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. I am filling in this week for Dan Celia as Dan uh, deals with an illness and we're praying that God would uh, bring him back to full health very, very quickly. And so pray for him. I am the pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. And we're talking today with Dr. Chuck Kelly. Dr. Chuck Kelly is the pastor emerit or pastor emeritus. He is president emeritus of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And we're talking about theological liberalism. We're talking about evangelism. We're talking about the need for Christians to be the witnesses God wants them to be. We're taking your calls in this uh, this next segment, 1-888-589-8840. That's 1-888-589-8840. We have John from Texas on the line. John, welcome to the broadcast today. I appreciate you having me. Uh, coming to you from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Me, yeah, North Carolina, not Texas. Let me first praise the Lord, uh, our Father, for sending Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you know, to, to guide us every day. And when Jesus, you know, prayed, he said, pray like this, and he gave us the Lord's Prayer. So I'm, I want to encourage everybody. He said, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say, can I have a crumb? He said, you know, feed me today, Lord. So when, we're, when we've got all this fear surrounding the discouragement these past couple of years with sickness, you know, we don't need to 
think our enemy has surrounded us because just like uh, there are more than with us than are with them. So praise God for that, brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for calling in today. Dr. Chuck, uh, our listeners may not know, but uh, your father-in-law was a very well-known evangelist back in the day, uh, Bob Harrington, the chaplain of Bourbon Street. I know his story was kind of a, a tragedy to triumph. Can you share a little bit about that? Absolutely. Bob uh, was an insurance salesman when he went to his hometown of Sweetwater, Alabama, uh, one night to look for insurance prospects, and they, they were having a revival at the Baptist Church. So he went to look for people to sell insurance to, and during that sermon, the Holy Spirit convicted him of his need for salvation and of the reality of his sin, and he was born again. And I mean, he was just gloriously saved, went home and led his daughters to Christ. His, uh, my mother-in-law now, his wife, uh, had come to Christ, but had really gotten away from the Lord. Uh, and the family was just gloriously uh, immersed in the Lord's love and grace. Shortly after that, God called him to evangelism, and he became one of the greatest evangelists that I have ever heard. He was probably second in popularity only to Billy Graham and could fill up large civic centers in any part of the country, which a Southern Baptist evangelist can very rarely do. But he was such a gifted preacher and communicator. Uh, and I came to New Orleans Seminary, and I began working with him. And as I was around him in our work, I just began to pick up that, that things weren't quite right uh, in his spiritual life. And all of those things came to a head, to make a long story short, and I had to confront him about some horrible moral choices that I discovered he had made. And he rejected uh, my plea for him to repent and come back to the Lord uh, and to his family. And he walked out on his family, and it was a walked out on the Lord uh, and the ministry, and it was a terrible tragedy. What happened to Bob? Very simply, he stopped eating. Whenever you stop eating, you get sick. Whenever you only eat junk food, you get sick. Uh, and Bob stopped eating God's Word. He stopped walking with God. And that stopping of walking with God opened him up to the temptations of Satan, and he made horrible choices. And he could preach great sermons without ever having to read the Bible. And mm. that became his lifestyle. He had no walk with God, and as a result, he fell into a horrible sin. He became a completely different person. Uh, and for 18 years, he was away from the Lord. Uh, and my wife, uh, one of the greatest Christians I've ever known, kept loving uh, her dad and trying to communicate with him. He would very rarely agree to be with us uh, for any length of time at all, and often under very difficult circumstances. But she kept sharing with him, kept loving him. And we gave him a book for his birthday that God used to break his heart. And he literally showed up on our doorstep at our home in the seminary campus wanting to get his life right with God. Mm. And he lived with us for three months, and we got to watch God restore him. And that was mm. one of the most precious experiences of my life. And that was shortly before I became president of the seminary 
for the rest of our life after he came back to the Lord, and he really did. He just was witnessing again, rejoicing the Lord again. He would cry nearly every time he came into our home over what he realized he had lost, that he could never get back in those 18 years away from the Lord. So God does have a place in his heart for the prodigal. God does rebuild the broken. God does repair the damaged. And we thank God for that. And my father-in-law is a great example of that. Amen. A story, a tragedy, but triumph in the end. And so glad that he got his life right with the Lord. We have uh, Alan in Arkansas on the line. Alan, welcome to the broadcast. On you from the outskirts of Totesuck, Arkansas. So uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate you guys. I saw the CBN uh, share the information about the show on social media, and that's how I tuned in and was just listening. And my question is, and I'm not going to say the name because I don't want to distract from the bigger issue, but this week there was a, a prominent pastor that talked about, you know, their church has – uh, LGBTQ, transgender people, lost people, other lost people serving, actually like serving in their church, um, even though that they, they know that they're lost. And so I, I hear Dr. Kelly's uh, just just love for evangelism. And and I do agree, you know, that, we, you know, we don't want to have church where we say, well, lost people can't come here and hear the gospel. Of course we want that. But, but to me, it seems like it's crossing a major theological and Baptist principle line to, to encourage people, lost people to serve in the church. Um, so anyway, I'm just kind of thinking through that and I thought I'd call in and, and just kind of see if Dr. Kelly would be willing to answer that question or share his thoughts on that. I appreciate yeah, it. Well, we, when you turn away from the biblical path, you are on a road to a dead end. That's the simple reality. And God has his standards. I mean, he told us what are the standards uh, of behavior and belief for pastors and for uh, deacons and those who serve. God has very clear guidelines for us on how Christians ought to live and what is acceptable behavior in the church. Uh, boy, Paul had to get all over the people in Corinth about their sexual immorality. and so You can't have people like that serving in the church. And so I very strongly disagree with that kind of attitude. But again, that's that liberal road, and it brings with it spiritual death. It sounds uh, very inviting, but it is death. Would you put a cup of—would you put a portion of milk in a cup that had cyanide in the bottom of it and give it to a child? Absolutely not. It might be good cold milk, but the poison in the cup offset the delightful taste of the milk, and the child will die. You simply cannot mix ungodly and godly without devastating consequences. That's exactly right. What fellowship has light with darkness? Uh, as it says in Second Corinthians chapter six, and so yeah, Alan, I saw that too, and I was uh, shocked that that uh, that pastor was saying that, and that he conducted his church that way. Well, thanks for the call. We have David from uh, Indiana. David, welcome to the broadcast this morning. Yeah, I'm from Iowa, but that's okay. 
Iowa. You know, it was IA, and I said, oh, I got a 50-50 shot on this. Okay, yeah, well, that's all right. Um, Hey, I have a question about worship in the church, and um, it seems to me over the years that the uh, worship in the church has become become, uh, far more secularized secularized I, with a lack of better terms um it's it's you know and my question is is that something that people just need to say well you know this is this is a different era and music's going to change and you just need to be you know able to adjust to it um and musically i could understand that but the words in a song uh, you know, it's got to be the right theology, and so much of the music, it seems today, um, doesn't have good theology in it. What do you guys um, think about, you know, what's your opinion of that? All right, great, well, style great and question. content are the two different issues, uh, and they are both important. Yeah, there will be changes in style, and, and probably the way we can experience that uh, in today's moment is go to a worship service in your church or go to a worship service in a church in South America, a church in Africa, and a church in East Asia, and you will see the style of the worship and the music being different in all likelihood, reflecting uh, that culture and those people. But the content is the really crucial matter. You're exactly right. We have to have solid biblical content We have to be telling the truth uh, in the things that we sing as well as the sermons that we preach. That content uh, is more important than that style. One will change as the times change. Amen. Our guest has been Dr. Chuck Kelly. Thanks for being with us today. I'll see you again tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.